Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to talk about the Kingdom of God. And we're going to be doing a uh, study on the Hebrews, which we started last week, and we continued with several other broadcasts throughout the week. And it's going to take a little while to get through Hebrews, but it's a more flowery book, as we said. It's more formally written than most of the other books and uh, epistles of the Bible. And it is actually some considered to be actually a literary work because of the uh, language that's used in it, phrases that appear, the structure of the sentences. It was by standards of that time and even by the standards that we apply to the Bible. It's, it's probably one of the more classically written pieces of the New Testament. It consolidates a number of different ideas, and we'll look at uh, some of the other different sources and references that are in the Hebrew and take a look at that. We, uh, we're working on a number of other projects at the same time. Our, the Burning Bush Festival, which you can find out about at theburningbushfestival.org. It's our fall festival. We have it a little bit earlier than the different calendars would uh, provide for. But it's partly because we are at a very high altitude and people have to go a long ways. We had people all the way from New York this time. We may have people all the way from Australia next time. They've come here before and that's, that's quite a long trip to come here. We had it for over a week at a time this last fall. We, uh, we didn't have it for as long a period of time and we had a much more intimate gathering because we also have another gathering in the spring. And we're going to be increasing the number of those gatherings as we increase in numbers. But out here we can have a rather large gathering because we've got lots of room and we're building facilities. And if you know anything about organizing large events, if you want to bring your groups together with our groups, it is an outreach. So it's an open gathering and we will welcome people from all over to come because it says in the Bible in that fall festival to invite the stranger within your midst and this networking idea is essential to the kingdom it was essential to the early church it was essential to the survival of the faithful because they had to have networks all over communities all over that they could depend on if things got too bad where they were at and vice versa And this is one of the falls or failings of Christianity back in the days of 1000, 1900, 1066, 1090s, and the beginnings of the Inquisitions, is that the many Christian valleys throughout Europe had become so prosperous and so successful, they had also become apathetic. And they didn't have that Feast of Tabernacles, which joined together communities all over. And you can see in the history where there were people joined from very far away by marriage, by interaction, so that when one valley or one group or one harbor or one river 
was being attacked or being overcome by thugs of the world. People from other communities, sometimes clean across the English Channel, would come to their aid and keep them from being oppressed. And they were willing to do that because they had a relationship with those people in other valleys. Because Christ preached a kingdom. Moses taught a way of a kingdom. And they were able to come together. And when they divided themselves through apathy or through avarice or or just neglect, they became vulnerable. And the same is true today. Many people tell us that they are celebrating the festivals, the old Hebrew festivals, just like anybody other else celebrates the holidays of their culture. Um, and the early Christians all celebrated the festivals and gathered together. There's evidence of them doing that for centuries after Christ. Your Oktoberfest is still an extension of that same idea of gathering together in the fall and in the spring in order to create these bonds of a larger community. And when we read Hebrews, we're going to be looking at Hebrews through the eyes of those communities at that time and what they were doing and understanding the wholeness of the gospel and then it may make uh, Hebrews somewhat come alive to you if you haven't understood what was really going on in the early church at that time. So, many of the people we know today that are gathering in these festivals are just going to the party. They're not really gathering for the purposes of the original fall festivals. Feast of Tabernacles or, you know, they have, uh, it goes by many different names, Feast of Tents. But there was a purpose to those festivals. They were to unite communities all over the country, all over the nation. Unite the people to bring families together and to firm up that network that was so essential for the survival of a peculiar people that wanted to live by faith, hope, and charity in the perfect law of liberty. The boastful talking is not the solution. Arrogant uh, opinions about eschatologies is not the solution. The solution is learning what it means to love one another, and you can't do that unless you gather together. So anyway, we began at least a week ago talking about this epistle to the Hebrews, and we talked about uh, you know what it meant and uh, the different uh, aspects of the scholars considering this a writing to be more published and eloquent than, or polished and eloquent than any other book of the Bible. And and it certainly is, uh, as I was going through it and making some of the notes, I was discovering how cleverly, or with such expertise, the Greek was put together. And so somebody put a lot of effort into doing this uh, this particular epistle and did a lot of thinking when they wrote this. I'll read here, although traditionally called the letter to the Hebrews, its author refers to it as the word of exhortation, using the same term used in Acts 3.15 to describe a sermon. And we can read Acts 13.15, chapter 13, verse 15. And after the reading of the law and the prophets... The rulers of the synagogue sent unto them, saying, Ye men and brethren, if ye have any words of exhortation 
for the people. Say on, and this word exhortation, it's a particular Greek word, and it is often translated exhortation, but also consolation, and even comfort, and entreaty. And it has to do with calling near or summoning for a particular purpose of gathering together to bring a kind of uh, knowledge and understanding of one another and comforting of one another. We see the same word in Luke, second chapter, verse 25. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And the same man was just and devout, waiting for his consolation of Israel. And the Holy Ghost was upon him. So, there we see that word translated consolation instead of exhortation. It has to do with the fact that the Holy Ghost can inspire you, can guide you, can show you a way to go as opposed to that way. And it can actually exhort you to say, don't go that way. Sometimes it says you should go over this way. And this divine revelation everybody has access to, who returns to the ways of God, who will forgive and therefore be forgiven. You know, Christ died that you might be saved. There's no guarantee that you are saved just because you think a thought. You actually have to repent and turn around and start following his ways. And then you start receiving this exhortation or consolation or comfort of the comforter of the Holy Spirit. And really what you're doing is eating of the tree of life instead of the tree of knowledge. And so many men want to study the Bible. They're ever studying and never coming to the full understanding because they're all doing it as you would approach the tree of knowledge. They're trying to get knowledge and information. And that's why many words that actually should be translated in the New Testament, such as we see it as study to show thyself approved. That word that they translate study isn't translated study anywhere else in the Bible. Just there. And it actually means be diligent. Be diligent in what? Be diligent in the ways of Christ. In the ways of Moses. In the ways of God. They're all the same ways. And to be diligent in those is much different than just studying and thinking about. It actually has to do with doing. So much of what Christ said, doing. Not those who say, Lord, Lord, but those who do with the will of my Father. If you love me, keep my commandments. That's about doing. And there is a satanic gospel that's going around saying, oh, you don't have to do anything. You just have to think a thought. You just have to say you believe. You don't actually have to do anything, even though the word belief has to do with doing. It has to do with conviction, where you believe something and you have to do it that way. You have to, you can't sin anymore when you really completely believe. You just can't do it. You have been giving over. You are convicted. You see, but they've turned salvation into a head thing so that you just get knowledge in your head and think about something and say something and then you're saved. Completely the opposite of what Christ said. If you want eternal life, thou knowest the commandments, keep them. He's talking about doing. Now, can you do enough that you've earned salvation? No. You will always have salvation by grace. Because you can't do enough. Noah couldn't do enough. And I, I mentioned before on the show that Noah was not a righteous man. 
it actually says that he was a just man, and that word is also translated righteous. And in one sense, he was a righteous man in some things, in his generations. Even when you look up the word that they use in reference to Noah, they talk about right, the word actually means righteous in his form of government. That's what the word actually has a connotation and meaning of, just in his form of government. And, of course, the government of God is the family, which is generation, generation to generation. But in in those days, men were giving and taking in marriage, and that word marriage actually has to do with contract as well. They were giving and taking themselves in contract. They were marrying the state, marrying the the ways of Nimrod and the, and the ways of Cain and the ways of Lamech and introducing themselves into the Patronus of the city-state, the father of the city-state. And we're becoming children of rulers instead of children of God. But Noah was not doing that, and so God counted it as righteousness, enough so that by grace, and they actually mention that, that by grace, Noah was counted as righteous, as just. Because he was just in his generations. He wasn't just in everything. No man is... Why do you call me good, Jesus says. No man is good but the Father. None of us are really righteous. But we can be righteous in enough that God will extend his grace to us. If we're not righteous in anything, you can pretty much forget it. No grace for you. No forgiveness. You're not saved. No matter what you think, you're not saved. Now, I'm not going to draw the line between that because I don't need to. But I I want people to look at that and be careful about being deceived into thinking that they're saved because they just thought a thought. They believe something in their head. They've eaten of the tree of knowledge and they think they're gods. And they think they're saved. And they think they're righteous. And it's a, it's a great temptation you know, that we start thinking, oh, the rest of the world, they don't keep tabernacles. Or they don't keep it on the right day. Or they don't say Yeshua. They say Jesus. And, you know, and so, but we say the right words. You see, that's that's the devil tempting you to divide. You know, God so loved the world. And the word there is constitutional order and system of government. It's almost always used in reference to Rome or into the government of Judea that was run by men like Herod because it means a constitutional order or system of government according to theirs. I'm not making this up. That word that we see as world there, there's a bunch of others and we'll talk about that later in Hebrews because they use several different words in Hebrew and they translate them all world. And they're not all world. They're different words. And they mean different things. In the same sentence, there are two completely different words. And the translators translate them both into world, even though they're completely different words. Now, does that lead to confusion? It certainly can, if your ministers don't already understand the gospel, which most don't. It can lead to lots of confusion. And if he gets you worshiping his eschatology instead of the Holy Spirit, instead of the revelation of the Holy Spirit, you can be led off into false religion. So we look at these words not because we think you will understand by the knowledge of good and evil 
But we are always pointing to the fact that if you don't understand in your spirit, if you don't have the character of Christ, if you are not walking in the ways of Christ, and Hebrews talks about this, and we'll show you where, because you'll miss it if you don't sometimes refer back to the Greek because of the fact that the Greek was what they wrote down as inspired. We don't know of what translation you're using. We don't know that all the people who translated the Bible, especially those paid by other people with other agendas, if they did write in everything, they were not always inspired. People like to say, oh, we're just going to use this translation because this is the one that's blessed by God. Well, you can do that if you are really walking according to the Holy Spirit. But if you're up there in your head trying to decide what is good and evil with the knowledge that you accumulate only and do not have the guiding and the exhortation of the Holy Spirit, then you may be deceived. And you may go into perdition. If we look in Luke 6, 24, we say, But woe unto you that are rich, for ye have received your consolation. Same word. Because you are guided by your wealth and your love of your wealth. And that's very dangerous. You know, wealth can be a curse. It can be. You could be wealthy and it not be a curse. Christ was wealthy. And though he was rich, he made himself poor because he was not tempted to be consoled by his wealth. He was consoled by the Spirit. In Acts 4.36 we see, And Hoses, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation. Same word again, consolation. A Levite. Of the country of Cyprus. And we talk about that Acts 4.36 uh, many times. Hoses, this is, they tell you about Hoses, who becomes Barnabas, who sold his land in Cyprus and laid the money at the feet of the apostles. He was rich, even as a Levite, which was in contradiction to what the position of the Levites were. I've I've talked to many Jews and some Jewish scholars and they've really gone a long ways from what it says in the Old Testament. But Levites had no personal estate. They couldn't own land in their own name. If you sold Levite land, any other Levite could come and redeem it at any time. So nobody's going to buy Levite land and then put improvements on it because because another Levite could come and, and give you what uh, that Levite sold the land for and you have to sell it to him because you don't get a clear title when you buy it from a Levite because a Levite does not own the land by himself. Levites own the land in common. Everybody else in the nation were to own their own land and have a right to the beneficial interest of owning that land it was in their families, in their generation to generation. If you don't have that in a society, you will not have a free society. Now, you don't have that in almost any country throughout the world today. Australia, Santo Domingo, the United States, Canada. You don't own your land. You have legal title to your land, which does not include the beneficial interest. That's law. Now, you're not going to probably learn that in your average everyday public school, but if you go look it up, the definition of legal title in a Black's Law Dictionary, it will tell you that legal title is an apparent title that carries with it no beneficial interest. 
and beneficial interest is the right to use the property. So you don't have the right to use the property. And you know this because if you don't pay the use tax, somebody, you know, just stop paying for a couple of years. Don't pay the use tax. Somebody will come, take that land away from you, grab you by the scruff of your neck, throw you off into the street in the pouring down rain, and they will sell that land to somebody else who will pay the use tax. Because you don't own the use of it. That's owned by the state. It's held in trust by the state. They're, they own what is called the beneficial interest or the equitable title. They're the true owners of your property. So when you buy property, pay $400,000 for a piece of property, you don't own it. In Israel, you would actually own your land. The Levites did not own their land. They owned all things in common amongst the Levites. And so this way they helped keep each other safe and, and uh, from corruption and from deluding the purposes of the church in the wilderness and also kept the church in the wilderness a separate jurisdiction because their estate, they belonged to God. That's what it says in the Bible. And this is what the apostles were. They belonged to God. They were bondservants of God. And you can go back, you can go to all kinds of different countries and you'll see provisions for this, for those ministers who take on that particular status, that righteous status for a minister of God. And you'll find it in many countries in many ages. You can go back a hundred years, you can go back five hundred years, you can go back a thousand years, you can go back to the time of Christ, you can go back to the time of Moses, and you will see, even back to the time of the bondage in Egypt, the priests of the temple were separate. They they were not under bondage. They were separate because they operated in it according to a different status. That same thing was throughout the early church and for many years, and the residue of it still exists in some churches, although all those churches are not operating according to the purposes of Christ. And so we need to take a look at that and understand how that do, and we do that in the Free Church Report. But we're we're not getting to Romans, I mean to Hebrews, because I want to show you a few other places that this word exhortation shows up, such as Romans 12.8, where it says, Or he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity, he that ruleth with diligence, and he that showed mercy with cheerfulness. So they're using that word in lots of different places in the Bible, and sometimes it's exhortation, sometimes it's comfort. And so understanding the context is very important. But understanding that context of Hebrews in the time in which it was written is also very important. So understanding what the church was doing in that very first century what, and why they were doing it, why Christ told them to do it that way, still applies to this day because we're really the same kind of people that we've always been. And a certain element of us go whoring after the gods of Cain and Nimrod and Babylon. And some of us want to be repentant and follow in the ways of Christ. And Christ set up a very interesting system. I mean, he was a legal genius to show you how to be a free people, to live by the perfect law of liberty. Now, it takes a certain kind of person to do that. But he was showing us how that's done. And 
we need to work on what he was showing us and actually do it. Unfortunately, most people grow up, are taught what the church is by churches and religious people and books and everything that really missed it, really missed what was going on. And part of that's by design, not necessarily their design. The ones who want to have power over you and control you and subject you and follow after the ways of Satan, control you by the spirit of Satan, the spirit of the adversary. They've been around for a long time, and they're very good at deception, and they're very good at twisting words and twisting ideas and getting you to think in a different way. And one of the ways they do that is sophistry. They simply change the meaning of words. We have a series of articles that have already been started, and they're going up on News with Views, and then we'll have them also on uh, our own websites. And some people have already seen them because we we have the ones that are going up soon already on the website. Jury nullification will be covered, actually, because the Bible is about the law. And Jesus said that's one of the weightier matters. Law, judgment, mercy, and faith. And, of course, that all has to do with being on a jury. Are you going to have mercy? Are you going to exercise judgment? Are you going to judge fact and law? Or are you just going to judge the facts? If you can only judge the facts, then how can you tend to the weightier matters of law, judgment, mercy, and faith? You can't. You, you, the law is outside of your province. If you're on a jury that doesn't have the right to decide the law. And did you know that most juries in America today do not have the right to decide the law? And you know why they don't have the right to decide the law? Because they had disobeyed the words of Jesus right there in the Bible. It tells you. Right out of the mouth of Christ himself, he tells you. And yet you can go and find ministers and churchgoers and people who think they're saved and people who say they believe, all disobeying Christ, all waiving their right to decide the law, to tend to the weightier matters of law, judgment, mercy, and faith, because they take oaths. That's right, they swear. And they do this daily. Every day they do it. They're probably not doing it today because it's Saturday and the courts are closed. But every other day of the week, just about, they do it. They swear that they won't decide based on their God-given conscience, based on the exhortation of the Holy Spirit in their heart. They will decide according to the will of legislatures. that is written down in statutes. They will not decide law. They say the legislatures have decided the law and the judiciary will decide the law and we will not decide the law. And we swear we will not decide the law because we will decide this case according to the laws of the legislature and the courts of a corporate state. And we will not use the Holy Spirit to exhort mercy and judgment. That's what they're saying. Now, you don't understand that. When I, I see them raise their right hand, I know that's what they're doing. and that, Because I understand the law to some degree. And I write about it. And I'll show you. And have shown you in the many books that we have already written. But in this article coming up on News Reviews and then also on the Living Network and also in Keys of the kingdom we'll talk about it uh, we've already done two hours on the subject and they will those audios will be available with the article to help you understand 
how you're abandoning the way of Christ because nobody's teaching you the way of Christ. Even though he said it right there. I mean, it just astounds me how many ministers seem to be missing it. Anyway, we'll be back in a moment. Welcome back. In the, as I said, in Romans twelve eight, they use that word exhortation, and in Romans fifteen four, they use it. Uh, but it appears as the word comfort in association with patience and comfort, talking about learning. Whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for your learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Uh, Romans 15.5 goes on and uses the word again, but in this next, very next verse, the word that's translated comfort is translated consolation. They change, they're changing this constantly. There are words in the Bible that are translated 15-20 different ways. And there are multiple Greek words and even Hebrew words that are translated all into the same English word. And that's going to create confusion if you don't have ministers that are walking in the Holy Spirit. And I'm afraid they're in a very short supply today. But in Romans 15.5, anyway, it goes on to say, Now the God of patience and consolation... Why didn't they say patience and comfort? Then you know that he's using the same word. But no, they use consolation in the very next verse, translating the same exact word in association with the word patience and comfort, patience and consolation. Grant to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus. Now, how do you be like-minded one to, to another according to Christ Jesus? You have to be like Christ. You have to have the mind of Christ. You have to be walking in the ways of Christ. If you aren't doing that, I don't care what you think about Christ, you're not saved. You're not, you're not saved. You don't have Christ in you. Why don't you have Christ in you? He wants to come into you. He wants to guide you. If you are still losing your temper and getting angry all the time and, and being impatient, where do you think that comes from? Oh, you think you've got the right words. You know, oh, you've got the, you know, the right uh, practices. You say the right things. You take the right holidays and you use the right calendar and you do all these things according to the ways of Christ. But are you patient? Patience and comfort dwell in you? Are you like-minded with Christ? Or are you becoming faithful to an eschatology? An eschatology you have created with your personal, private knowledge of good and evil gleaned from a book that you says you say contains the truth. The truth is spirit. It is the Holy Spirit guiding you in everything that you do. Now, I'm not saying don't study, but do not think that you can come to a knowledge of God by forever studying. You come to a knowledge of God by receiving His divine revelation in your heart and acting upon it. And when you act upon it, He gives you another one. And He gives you more. When you bury it and don't act upon it, when you don't try to gather together and love one another through faith, hope, and charity, 
then you cut yourself off because sacrifice is still required to draw you near God. Do you, do you need to do animal sacrifice? No, you never needed to do animal sacrifice. <laughs> and we'll go into that some other time. Second Corinthians, or let's go First Corinthians 14.3. But, but that he prophesieth, speaketh unto men to edification and exhortation and comfort. Now, as you see there, they have exhortation. And they don't translate it comfort because they have another word coming after a different Greek word that says that they want to translate into comfort. Because they didn't say exhortation and exhortation or comfort and comfort. They, they had another Greek word. You see, they, they run into problems like this all the time. If You're going to translate it so many different ways. And, there's, and it's become such a practice, such a habit amongst these translators that has caused a great deal of confusion because they were not true to the translations. Now, in a few places, because, you know, it's not mathematical when you come from one language to the other, you know, there might be a word that's slightly better here or slightly better there, but they go way beyond that. In all translations, they go way beyond that. It is their custom. And the devil uses that regularly in the minds of men because he, he sows confusion with that. But if you are truly faithful in the ways God will send prophets to you to awaken you to the deception and you will begin to see the same scriptures you read a year ago or five years ago or ten years ago, you will see them in a new light. But do not become too confident in that because there are many layers to this deception. In... Uh, 2 Corinthians, first chapter, verse 3, it says, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort. But then, in the very next verse, it says, For as the suffering of Christ abounded in us, so our consolation... See, it said comfort over there in verse 4, but in verse 5, it says, So our consolation also abundant by Christ. Why didn't they say comfort again? Same word. They change it. And it's, it's a little change. It's a subtle change. But it breaks the association of the, they're using the same, that the, the original translator used the same word. And then, of course, in, in the very next verse, he uses the same word again. And they translated also consolation. And he says, "What, whether we be afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effectual in the enduring of the same suffering, which we also suffer. And whether be comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. It just goes on and the word again appears in the very next verse, also translated consolation. Steadfast knowing that as ye are partakers of the sufferings, so shall ye also be uh, also of the consolation. How are you partakers of the suffering? And our hope of you is steadfast knowing that you are partakers in the suffering. What suffering? The suffering that sometimes comes with charity. When you give up. When you sacrifice. Then you will be comforted. Because you are living according to the way of Christ. Christ came to serve. 
you come together in congregation not for feasting and festival, but to serve. And this is one of the things, if you read about the old tabernacles, Feast of Tabernacles, they came together to bless the Levites. And of course, the strangers in their midst may not, but they may. But you should come together to bless your ministers because they are out there not trying to gather their little congregations to themselves to become these little isolated pockets of home churches. But they are gathering congregations together to connect them with all the other congregations throughout the world in a network, in a kingdom. Because Christ preached a kingdom, not home church. I think home church is where we should start to build that kingdom because the foundation of the kingdom is the family. And those families come together. But those families need to pick ministers that will connect them with other families coming together because Christ preached a kingdom, not isolated congregations, not isolated individuals. The kingdom of heaven is within you, but as it becomes a kingdom in the world but not of the world, you need to come together so that you can practice and partake of the suffering, enduring of the same suffering, as we saw in verse 6. Whether we be afflicted or not, if our neighbor be afflicted, are we not afflicted? Do we not feel his suffering and therefore care for his need? And then as we care for his need, will not Christ also care for ours? But if we neglect our neighbor and just... Look for the comfortable church for fun and fellowship, but not for service one to another. Ah, we are in trouble. We are in loads of trouble because we are not coming in the name of Christ. Because his name included service and sacrifice. In Second Thessalonians uh, 2.16, we see now our Lord. Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father, which hath loved us and hath given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace. Why did he give us grace? Because we loved our neighbor as ourself. Did not Christ say that we were to love our neighbor as ourself? In Philemon 1.7, For we have great joy and consolation in thy love because the bowls of the saints are refreshed by thee, brother. The bowls of the saints are refreshed because you're taking care of the ministers. <laughs> yeah, tithing. Whoa! Hey, they're telling you you don't need tithing anymore. You just need to think a thought. Well, how can you develop an international network of faithful souls trying to live by faith, hope, and charity rather than the force and fear and violence of Cain and Lamech and Nimrod and Pharaoh and Caesar where you can pray for your benefits from men who are benefactors but do not exercise authority over you, do not subject you, do not take away your land, do not take away your sons and daughters, do not take away the first fruits of your labor, do not take away the best of your fields for themselves but come to serve in the name of Christ. And not the cookbook of the modern church where they come to serve you to the men who exercise authority one over the other. The men who call themselves benefactors to make you their bond servants 
by making you think that you are saved because you thought a thought. See what an iconoclast I am? (laughs) I am exhorting you in consolation and comfort. And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. That's in Hebrews 12.5. And in Hebrews 13.22, we'll see the word again. And I beseech you, brethren, suffer the word of exhortation. For I have written a letter unto you in few words. In few words, we have begun to covet our neighbor's goods and we have been made merchandise. And we're going to take a look at this. Before Revelations 3.19 says, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. This is what God calls for, is that we must repent. Repent of the ways of Caesar and Lamech and and Nimrod and Cain and Saul and the men who elected Saul. And by that election, rejected God. By that election, rejected God. And some say, well, they had to make Saul king so that David could become king, so that Christ could become king and die for our sins. Well, you know... You think God couldn't have figured out some way to do it without you rejecting Him? No, you have been rejecting Him and that is wrong. And you have been rejecting Him because you love rewards. Even rewards that are given to you at the expense of your neighbor because you do not love your neighbor as yourself. God does not need you to sin to find a way to save you. He needs you to repent so that He may save you. He can come up with all kinds of ways to do it. Don't say, well, we had to sin or God couldn't have come and saved us. <laughs> what what nonsense. Comfort yourself with delusions, but not with righteousness. It doesn't work that way. So Hebrews 1, 1. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers, By the prophets. What fathers? The fathers of the earth? That we are not to pray to? Look to? To our natural fathers? Who we are to honor? When we are righteous in our generations? Where the families come together in free assemblies? What is a prophet? What is that word prophet? We hear that and we use that all the time. We're going to take a look at a lot of different words. And that word prophet, you know, in the... uh, in the Testament, the Greek word and interpreter of oracles, it says, or of other hidden things. One who moved by the Spirit of God and hence his organ or spokesman solemnly declares to men what he has received by inspiration, especially concerning future events, it says. But it's that inspiration that is key. This is what Jesus says to Peter. Blessed are you, Peter, because it's not flesh and blood that has revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. Divine inspiration. Each of you should be divinely inspired and guided by that Holy Spirit. But all of you are not, because you have barred the Holy Spirit, because you do not walk in the ways of Christ. 
But he will send men who will bear witness to you so that you know you are not following in the ways of Christ. You need to repent, start walking in the ways of Christ so that you can be divinely inspired in your day-to-day walk with Christ. Never was the Levite to stand between you and God. The Levite was to connect you with other men so that you could learn to walk in the ways of God. Cain connected men. Nimrod connected men. He connected men by making covenants with them that I will take care of you if you give me the power to take from you and your neighbor. And you are still sinning in that fashion with every government throughout the world today. Every socialist government that moves in that direction is moving away from God. They're rejecting God. They're saying, you, the men who exercise authority, you become our benefactors and take from our neighbors what we want. Health care, public school, everything. You should be doing it voluntarily and you've gone so far from that, you have a load of repenting to do. And that's what the early church should be facilitating. Not overthrowing governments. Not doing away... Those governments are there to punish you and they're doing a good job and you're feeling the sting of it. And many of you want to throw off the government and rebel against the government. You deserve that government. You've been slothful in the ways of Christ. You need to return to those ways of Christ. And you have done this in sundry times and in diverse manners. And he has sent his prophets to tell you, stop doing it. Turn around. Go the other way. And the second verse it says, Hath in these last days... He actually says... Last days. When Hebrews was written, that was called the last days. Last days of what? End of the world? Well, we'll take a look at that. End of an age. What happens at the end of an age? Another age begins. Last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. The worlds? He made the worlds. He was heir and and made the worlds. So we need to know what word is that, that he made the worlds. Let's take a look. If we go into uh, uh, a concordance and look up that particular verse, we will find that word in there. Anyway, that I, I wanted to double check. I was pretty sure which word that was. It's not the word that means constitutional order and systems of government. And that's... Uh, so, who, what did God make? He didn't make the constitutional orders and systems of government. He made, and the word is aeon. Ages. That's right. God's talking about ages there. Not the planet. He's talking about ages. And for some reason, they like to translate the word for ages, worlds. They don't do it all the time. But they do it from time to time, just enough to create confusion. Because <laughs> that's what they're up to. I mean, they don't necessarily even mean it. But because they're not really walking by the inspiration of God, they're walking by the orders and commands of men who exercise authority one over the other. They will fudge the here and there and slowly lead you away from the truth. Christ was heir. He was appointed heir. Heir to what? Heir to the throne of David. He was the highest son of David, right? And he was heir. 
one who receives by lot, an heir, one who has acquired or obtained the portion allotted to him. And so Christ received the portion. All things were granted unto him. He was king. This is why they say there is another who is king. One Jesus. And that's that's how they operated. As though Jesus was a king. They disregarded the decrees of Caesar because Caesar was not their king. People, I hear them all the time in churches saying, Jesus is our king. But then they go out and vote for a president or a prime minister or whatever. Why are you voting for presidents and prime ministers to rule over your neighbor to obtain benefits when Jesus Christ is your king and he told you not to covet your neighbor's goods but to love one another? It's because you're not doing in your churches what the early church was doing. And so, when we see the letter to the Hebrews, we think it's to us. It's not to us. It's to the faithful who are doing what Christ said, what the early church was doing. The church today is not doing it. In these last days, a different set of last days, in a different age, we live in another world, another age, an age where people have rejected Christ and gone whoring after other gods, other benefactors who exercise authority. In verse 3 we see, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word and the word their word is rima, not logos of his power, dunamis, his ability, his nature. Are, are we upholding all things by the nature of Christ or are we following the nature of Cain? The nature of Nimrod? the mighty provider instead of the Lord. When he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Can we do that? Because we think a thought? No, we must have the express image of his person. That's very important, that word image of his person. The word image there is the instrument used for engraving or carving. Mark or stamp upon the instrument or wrought out on. It is character. That word that we see as image, it only appears in Hebrews. It doesn't appear anywhere else in the Bible. Uh, forms of it do. We see it in the karagma, the mark of the beast. Forms of it. But this particular form, character, that's actually how you would say it in the Greek. Character, the image of his person. What do they mean by person? That word that they translate their person is only translated person in that one place in the Bible. Other places it's translated confidence or confident or even substance. Setting or placing under. We are not doing things according to the character of Christ. That's how we know if we believe in Christ or not. It's not a matter of his name. It's a matter of his character, the character of his person, the character of his substance, the character of his dunamis. We must be coming together to serve one another so that no man has to go and pray to men who call themselves benefactors but will exercise authority one over the other and make your neighbors merchandise, human resources, for your benefit. You see how far from the gospel you have gone? Well, that's where all your problems in the world today comes from. 
And you must repent and turn around and go another way. And we'll talk more about Hebrews when we return to Keys of the Kingdom. Till then, peace be with you. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. So welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory and we're talking about the Kingdom of God and we're going to be talking about Hebrews and we're going to go through the whole book eventually. It's going to take a little while if we're only going to do three verses an hour or four or five verses an hour, but it'll go along a lot quicker. But you have to set a foundation. When I built homes for a living for many years, uh, we would be out there working and setting the foundation and then all of a sudden the day that you set the walls up would come. And, of course, you put up the walls and you put up the trusses and then you've got to get the sheathing on. And so in one day, they would see all those outside walls go up and the sheathing go on. They said, well, you've got a lot done today. But we had been there for a week already or more laying the foundation. So it's very important to lay the foundation of anything that you're doing. And so you cannot understand Hebrews if you are not going to lay the foundations of Christ and understand what Christ came to tell us to do. And that it's very important that we do them. And we will not do them perfect, so we will need grace. But we need to be following in the ways that he said to go. Because if you're going the opposite direction, and you tell me that you believe in Jesus, and you say you're following him, but you're going in the opposite direction... I don't think you understand who Jesus is, and I don't think you do believe in Jesus. And if you're comfortable in going in the opposite direction, then I don't believe you have the same comforter or Holy Spirit that Christ sent. And that you're actually under a strong delusion, and you're actually going the opposite way of Christ. And therefore, when you preach your gospel, you're actually the Antichrist. That's right. You're the Antichrist, and you're serving. When you tithe to a minister that has led people away from the ways of Christ, you're tithing to the Antichrist. That's right. You know, you may end up with a big screen TV in a really comfortable church that will really make you feel good, but you're actually going against Christ and serving his enemies. 
I mean, if you were the devil, where, where do you think you could do the most damage to anybody? You do it by deceiving them into thinking they're following Christ, and they're actually going away from Christ. They're going in the opposite direction of Christ. And that's what people are doing every day. And they think they're serving Christ and they're actually serving Satan. And they say, sometimes they say Jesus and sometimes they say Yeshua and sometimes they say Yahweh and sometimes they say Jehovah and sometimes they use this calendar and sometimes they use that calendar. But they're not following in the ways of Christ because they haven't come to serve. They haven't come to forgive. They haven't come to tend to the weightier matters of law, judgment, and mercy, and faith. They come to feel good, to fellowship and party, and have a good time. They're here for the party. They're not here for righteousness. They're not here for the service of Christ. And they need to repent. They need to turn around. They need to go the other way. And if I don't rebuke them in this, then I don't serve the Father. And I intend to serve the Father, so plan on getting rebuked. Verse 4. Being made so much better than the angels, he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. So did, did Jesus get a different name? Was he born with the name Steve and then he got the name Jesus? Or was he given the name Yeshua and then given the name Jesus? Or his name have nothing to do with the letters that you pronounce in a nomenclature so you know what to put on Jesus' ID card. <laughs> name. The word name there is translated, you know, name over almost 200 times. Uh, sometimes they translate it called. So it's almost always translated name. You know, the Greek word is anoma. That, that's what it is. But what does it mean? Does it mean your name, the way you spell it? It means your identity. I mean, he was just talking in the previous verses about the image of his person, the character of his person. The character is the Greek word, but they translated it into image. Why didn't they say the character of his person? Well, they just chose not to. For whatever reason, it doesn't matter. But we understand now what the author really meant. This idea of proper name, the name is used for everything, this onuma. Onuma. Is, it, it's used for everything which the name covers. Everything. The thought or feeling of which is aroused in the mind by mentioning, hearing, remembering the name. For one's rank, authority, interests, pleasures, commands, excellence, deeds, purposes. It doesn't just mean the letters and pronunciation. What is the nature and interest and pleasure of Christ? To serve. To serve the Father by serving you. Because God so loved the world, He gave His Son, and His Son was willing to give His life for His Father, so that ye might be saved. Are you willing to give your life for your brother, that you might be saved, that he might be saved? That who might be saved? You tell me. What are you here for? Are you here for the party? Or did you come together to serve one another? Because if you come together to serve one another, expect Christ to serve you. To be there and hear your prayers. If you come there to be served, if you come to, for the party, 
expect Christ not to hear. If you are still coveting your neighbor's goods, you're still praying to men who call themselves benefactors, if you're still electing Saul's and rejecting God, the Bible tells you, I will not hear you in that day. Go cry out. And we'll talk about that in Hebrews. Because that comes up. For unto which of the angels... Now, this word angels. We should look at that word angels. What is that? I mean, they use this. You're going to see this over and over again in Hebrews. Egelos is the word that we see there in the Greek. It's translated angels about 179 times. But it's also translated a few times, about seven times, messenger. Messenger. That's what it means. Messenger. Envoy. One who is sent. So when we see say angels, we think they're talking about somebody with wings, I guess, and long hair and, and a big sword and, you know, like Michael, you know, and whatever. But it means messenger. So when they're talking about for unto which of the messengers said he at any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee, and again I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, is that the word aeon or cosmos, or what is that? That's actually aeomene, and we'll look at that word later. He saith, and let all the angels of God Worship him. Worship him. What is that word worship? It means kiss the hand, serve, bow down. Let me do let me help you. That's what worship is. Let me do what you want done. You know, give me a task. That's what it means to worship. It doesn't mean think a thought. God's not insecure. He doesn't need your love so that he feels secure and appreciated. He needs you to want to do the will of the Father, because the will of the Father leads to life. See, if you go down to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 3, we see, For we which have believed do enter into rest, as he said, as I have sworn in my wrath. If they shall enter into my rest, what does that mean, my rest? Although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. Now, what's he talking about here again? The works were finished from the foundation of the world? Foundation, there's, you know, if you go to chapter 1, verse 10, which we will do, uh, we will see foundation of the earth. But here we see foundation of the world. What world is that? Well, that's that word, constitutional order and system of government. It comes from the word comizo, which means to care for and take care of and provide for. And, of course, Christ preached to government. There's the foundation of his constitutional order and system of government where you take care of one another through faith, hope, and charity and the perfect law of liberty. But there's also, and this is more often what the word is referring to, the constitutional order and system of government, the harmonious arrangement or constitutional order or system, government, that provides for the needs of the people through men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority. Two kinds of government. That's all there is in the whole world. Two kinds of government. Those that operate by faith, hope, and charity. That's one form. And those that operate by force. At the time of John the Baptist, most of them operated by force. At our time, most of them operate by force. 
the church established by Christ still operates by faith, hope, and charity. Any church that does not operate by faith, hope, and charity is not His holy church. We're not His holy church. We strive to be His holy church. We seek to be His holy church. Uh, There's no way we could say we are it. But I can tell you that anyone who is not striving to be the benefactors who exercise authority, uh, who don't exercise authority, but exercise faith, hope, and charity, any, any church that's not operating that way exclusively and leading people to a form of government that exclusively operates that way is not his holy church. I don't care what they do. They're not following Christ. They're not even Christians. If they're crowning men over other men, instead of crowning every man king in his own house, then they're not his holy church. You know, I don't have to point names out or point fingers at anybody. That's just it. If you're not doing what Christ said, then you're not followers of Christ. That's simple. From the foundation of the world, the foundation of his world, or the foundation of Cain's world, Hebrews 9.26, we see, For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. We see that same phrase, foundation of the world. But now, once the end of the world... Wait a minute. Did the foundation of the world and the end of the world... Is this the same word, world? No, it's not. I'll give you the heads up. And Hebrews 9.26, they have two... Completely different words translated world. Foundation of the world is foundation of that constitutional order and system of government. But now the end of the world is the word age. Aeon. But but now, once in the end of the age, hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And remember, earlier... He was talking about the last days in the world. What world? Age. So when we once we understand that this is the same Hebrews that was talking about that Christ showed and represented the last days of an age. Now we know that in 926 he's talking about the last days of an age. But he's talking often have suffered since the foundation of the constitutional order and system of government, such as Rome and, and Herod, and which goes all the way back to Saul, when we rejected God and through the foundation of that rejection created a new world, a new constitutional order and system where we became subject to men. And Christ was now ending that age so that now we could be subject to God and he called that government the kingdom of God. Because the kingdom of God is where you have the right to be ruled by God, not by Caesar. Because these are the men that say there is another king and do contrary to the decrees of Caesar. Not because they disobeyed Caesar, because they didn't have to obey Caesar, because they had another king whose kingdom was not of Caesar's world. Wow! That's what he meant when he said, my kingdom's not of this world. Who'd he say it to? Pontius Pilate. He said to Pontius Pilate, my kingdom's not of this world. And the word he used is cosmos. 
constitutional order and system of government. It's just like Jesus saying, my kingdom's not of your constitutional order and system of government. You don't have no jurisdiction to judge me as king. And he says, well, are you a king? And Jesus said, thou sayest I'm a king. You know I'm a king. You've already said it. He didn't say, I never said it. No, because he had said it. That's why he was there. Because the Pharisees didn't want him a king, and they couldn't kill somebody who claimed to be king, because that would have been a revolutionary act. And that's why the Romans were there, to prevent civil war. They had been invited in to stop a civil war. And so they weren't appointing kings. They were deciding who was the best king. Who had the most right to be king. First they thought it was Aristobulus, and then they decided it was Hyrcanus. But that was many years before. At another time, they decided it was Herod had the best claim to the throne. But you know what they decided now? They decided Jesus had the best claim to the throne. And his ambassadors, his apostles, were the princes of that kingdom. And they did disregard the decrees of Caesar because they had another king. But governments have jobs to do. And this is what the job of the church was. To provide the benefaction. And I used to go when I was being raised up. We'd go to something called, uh, I think they call it benefaction. And uh, you would go to this in the evenings. And they would go and they'd say these prayers, blah, 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 blah. And they would, you know, raise up things. And everybody would bow their head and genuflect. And, and they call that benefaction. Benefaction is what they got when they went down to the welfare office or when they sent their kids to public schools and when they got health care and, and when they collected Social Security. That's benefaction. That's the benefits of their government. Their church was just to make them feel good. They went to church to feel good, not be good. If they went to church to be good, they would go to church and say, Anybody have any needs? Are there any widows here who are suffering for lack of care? Are there any people that have uh, that have lost their jobs? And, and is there any children that need help with their education so that they grow up to be strong and moral people? I didn't go to public schools and all that stuff, but most people were by that time in American history. They didn't used to. Most people were taught by the finances. That, you know, we just... I was just working on the school, helping fix it up. It's not used anymore as a school. It's an old, old, old school. And somebody came by and they say, so when did they build this? And we got to talking and I pointed out and I says, well, this was a public school, but it wasn't built by public funds. It was built by private school, private funds. Most public schools used to be built by private funds. The land was public land. It was built on that public land, donated by government at no expense to government. It was just set aside when they surveyed everything. But it was built by private funds because the idea had not yet caught on that it was okay to take from your neighbor to have what you want. That was still considered a sin in old America. Just like it was a sin in the Old Testament and in the Testament of Christ, coveting your neighbor's goods, according to Paul, was evil and you shouldn't have anything to do with people who coveted their neighbor's goods. But somehow or other in this country, it became okay to covet your neighbor's goods as long as you did it through governments that exercised authority one over the other. Even though Jesus said it was not to be that way with you. Your church should be the benefactors who don't exercise authority because they would require you to follow in the ways of Christ, which is to serve one another, love one another, care for one another, 
Comiso with one another through faith, hope, and charity and the perfect law of liberty. And if you were doing that, I would say you look like a Christian. But since you're not doing that, you don't look like a Christian to me. Very important. And we'll see this word cosmos, constitutional order or system of government, show up again in Hebrews 10.5. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, cosmos, not into the age, not into the ecumene, he saith, sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. In burnt offerings and sacrifice for sin thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, Lo, I come in the volume of the book it is written of me to do thy will, O God. And what is thy will? What is the will of God? That you love one another, that your sacrifices are not burnt up by flames, but burnt up to you. In other words, you give them freely and completely to take care of the needy of your society through choice, through free will offerings. If you're not doing that in your churches, then you're not his holy church. No matter what you say on your business card, no matter what it says out front, no matter what you want to believe, If you're not taking care of the needy in your congregation entirely by faith, hope, and charity, and helping your congregations not go to men who call themselves benefactors who will make them merchandise and surety for debt, then you're not his holy church. You're not following in the ways of Christ. You know, and we talked earlier in the the last show about Noah being a righteous man. You're not righteous. And therefore, you will not receive the grace of God. And therefore, when you cry out, he will not hear you. You need to be going in that way. And it's a long ways from where you are today. So you've got a lot of repenting to do. But if you start back like the prodigal son, your father will run out and meet you halfway. And by grace, you will be saved. But if you don't start back, don't expect the grace of God or his salvation. Simply because you thought a thought. Hebrews 11.7 By faith, Noah, being warned of God, of things not seen, as yet moved with fear and prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world. What world? The constitutional order and system of government of that day, which is giving and taking in marriage, and going in ways of Nimrod, of benefactors who exercise authority, not in the ways of righteousness, And he became an heir of the righteousness which is by faith. But that faith was a faith of doing. He didn't just sit back and think about building an ark. Think about obeying God. He actually did it. And was saved. Because that's what faith is. Faith is probity. Faith is actually a conviction that requires that you do something. You can't, I couldn't stop you from doing what you had faith in. If you are stumbling regularly, then you don't have faith yet. Because faith does not fail. That is evidence that you are not saved, is that you stumble. And bless God for showing you that. So that you may turn around and repent and continue to seek that faith. And persevere in your striving towards that faith by doing the will of the Father. Because it's not enough to say you have to be a doer. Hebrews 11.38 Of whom the world was not worthy. The world what? Planet? No. Constitutional order and system of 
government. Why? Because they had gone the ways of socialism. They had gone the ways of coveting their neighbor's goods through men who exercised authority one over the other. They wandered in the desert and in the mountains and in the dens and the caves of the earth. Out of the world, but in they did not follow in the ways of Christ. Anyway, let's go on here in a moment to Hebrews 7 and uh, we'll be right back. Okay, welcome back in uh, Hebrews 7. And of the angels he saith, who maketh his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of desire. His ministers a flame of desire. That actually doesn't sound that good. You know, but anyway, remember now when we read that word angels, everywhere you read that word angels, it actually means messenger. Now, it may mean spiritual angels. It may mean people. You can be an angel if you are a messenger of God. In other words, if God inspires you to bring a message, and I've seen this many times, where somebody all of a sudden they come to me and they give me something or say something, and it, it's almost like they're uh, mesmerized or something. I, I see it when they come, that they're actually bringing me a message. <laughs> and sometimes that, like, there's a story I always tell of someone who brought me a magazine, never did it before, never did it since. And in that magazine was information about somebody who had just called me hours before and I wondered, who is that guy? What is he up to? <laughs> and they bring me a magazine and handed it to me. And they said, I thought you would want to read this. And I thought that it was just bizarre how they brought me. I mean, they came from miles and miles away and they brought this magazine. And I picked it up and, and, and I looked at it after they left. And there was the guy who had called me on the phone, you know, about four or five pages in and an article all about him. And it was a revelation as to who he was. I, now I knew who he was and why he was coming and who was sending him. He thought he was being very secretive, a very conspiratorial, you know, being sent by the powers that be. But the powers that be don't know that I work for the power that is. <laughs> the power that has been before the foundations of the world. And so... All their cloak and dagger and sneaking around didn't do them any good. I knew, I knew they were coming. I was forewarned by an angel, a messenger, who did not even understand the message they brought. If I told them that she gave me a message about the conspiracies coming from afar off, she wouldn't believe that. But she brought it just the same. And that, that tells me something. There are many people out there. Who are all caught up in the world and the lies and the deceptions of the world and the system of what we call Babylon. But something in their heart God finds grace in. And he uses them. Now he can use evil people too. Like the Pharaoh. He can harden his heart and make him do his will. But he can also use people that are so brainwashed that they cannot see the truth if you just show it to them. But yet somehow or other he sees a light that we cannot see and tells them, go do this little thing for me. Go take this magazine to Gregory because he needs to read the article on page five. <laughs> and they do it and they bring it. It's just amazing, astounding. They don't know that they're serving God, but they are. Now, be warned, for the devil doeth the same. The devil will 
send people to you as well. And they will bring you bad things, you know, like the witches in Macbeth. We told them all the things that were going to happen in a way that brought them about and brought his destruction about as well. Sounding like they were foretelling great things for this Macbeth. And they were actually predicting his destruction. And he was suckered into their soothsaying. And I, I see there are many people out there that are hearing things. I actually copied and pasted something I just read. Somebody sent me something. Let's see, I've got it right here. There you go. Humanity has now reached the big shift, critical mass, in quotes, of a new social conscience in our new global social network. And this is not only challenging dysfunction in core social, political, and economic institutions, but also compelling conscious uprisings of hope and faith and love. Activism that instinctively and intuitively turns to the source of our peace and happiness. That's true. But the same big shift can apply to the evil side, the dark side. We have never been so socially unconscious. You know, like I said, a a hundred years ago, when they built the school, it was built mostly with private funds. It was funded mostly by the individuals who sent their children to that school. And even then, in those days, most kids were not educated in public schools. They were educated in either private or uh, schools or at home or what have you. And we had a high degree of literacy. High degree. Huge. But today, our literacy is dropping rapidly. Well, they're playing with test scores and playing with the test so that you don't realize how dumbed down you have become. But we, where we've really come dumbed down is that we actually think it's okay to covet our neighbor's goods. We, it's actually, we think it's okay to rule over our neighbor, over the next country, over the neighbor down the street, make them do what we want done. It's okay to elect men to exercise authority over one another. When that was called a rejection of God in Samuel, and he warned you that such men will take and take and take and take and take and take your sons and daughters, Make instruments of war. And and in the day that you finally cry out, I'm not even going to hear you because you've, you've rejected me. And yet you have people out there saying they're Christians who are doing the exact same thing today and think that God will bless them. Collective unconsciousness. Social unconsciousness. We are dysfunctional in the ways of the kingdom. We don't know how to take care of one another without electing some man who calls himself a benefactor but simply will exercise authority one over the other. And we corrupt him with the power that we give him. Because we know power corrupts. And we give him the power to do this. And we are surprised generation after generation of the results. What is it about the guy who keeps doing the same thing expecting a different result? You're not going to get a different result. What If you do what Samuel told you not to do, you're going to get the same results that Samuel said you were going to get. Write it down. Figure it out. So anyway, we're going to keep on going here with Hebrews and we'll see if we can figure out what we should be doing. And we're going to need ministers of flame of fire. They need to be aflame with the Holy Spirit. That's a little hard to do. Apostles were walking with Jesus for years, eating and, and drinking and, 
and listening to everything he said and seeing the miracles. And they still didn't have the flame of fire until Pentecost. And what, what did they need to get that flame of fire? They needed to come into one accord. One accord with each other, but also one accord with that Holy Spirit. Can you come into one accord with the Holy Spirit and still harbor anger, harbor anger and harbor judgment and the arrogance of thinking, well, I see the truth and they are ignorant. Do you not know that you only see what truth you see by the grace of God? And without the grace of God, you see nothing. You do not want to lord it over your neighbor with your opinions of how smart and how wise you are and how foolish they are. For God could make sons of Abraham of those stone-headed people. You don't know anything except by the grace of God. You would be an absolute imbecile in the ways of God except by His grace. Remember that. Do not condemn anyone in your heart or in your imagination because they don't understand what you think you understand. It is not the ways of Christ. There will come a time when you rebuke them. But when you do, you should be at peace and not be angered up and rebuke them. You be guided in peace. But, verse 8, But unto the Son, he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever a scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Scepter, rod, it's strength. That's that, that word you see as scepter. Is rod a number of times. It's also translated staff, but it is translated scepter a couple of times. And uh, we see it here twice, scepter of thy kingdom. And this word righteousness, that's a very important word. And, And it's not always the same word. As a matter of fact, in this particular case, the word we see is righteousness only appears in Hebrews. You know, we see the word righteousness in in many other books of the Bible, but in the New Testament, all from a Greek word, but not here. This is from a different Greek word that is only used in Hebrews. You'll see this over and over again in Hebrews. And it it actually appears as um, the word, it comes from a word, uthus, which means straight. And we see that word in uh, Matthew 3.3. For this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. That's the word, straight, uthus, which appears with a slight change in the syntax structure in Hebrews, only in Hebrews. So when we see that word there, righteousness, in that verse 8, when it talks about this scepter of righteousness, this straightness of righteousness. We're talking about that way. Make straight the way. Make righteous the way. And, of course, the way of Christ is to live by faith, hope, and charity and the perfect law of liberty and not live by forcing your neighbor because until John the Baptist, everybody was trying to establish their government by force. And we're doing again. And we need to repent of that. And, and we are so far behind the hate ball. We need to really start working on that in earnest. And that's why we have things like the festival and the, and the, the livingnetwork.org. So that you join in. People are looking for a religion. I'm looking for a church that makes me feel good. Forget that. May, look for a church that shows you the straight way. The scepter of his kingdom. The rod of his kingdom. The measuring rod of his kingdom. 
Are you taking care of everybody in your congregation by faith, hope, and charity? You show me the congregation that can do it. You might find a few Amish that are doing that. But that's about it. I see people starting to strive to do that. But we got a long ways to go. Verse 9. Thou hast loved righteousness. Now there, see, we see the word righteousness right away in the next verse. But is it the same word? No. Is it some form of Uthutus? No. It's nothing like Uthutus. It's not even similar. It's actually from the word dikaios. Diokosune, I think is the form that we have there. And it is translated righteousness. It is translated just. It is translated right. It's from this word dike, which means custom or usage. Custom and usage, what is that? Well, those are terms that are referencing law. Natural law. Custom and usage. In a broad sense, that particular word there that we see as righteousness is defined as the state of him who is as he ought to be. Not the state of him who is thinking as he ought to be, but the one who is as he ought to be. I suppose it depends on your definition of is, as some politicians would like to say, but you have to be righteous, straight in your ways. In your doings. Righteousness. The condition acceptable to God. Not the guy who thinks about being right. In the narrow sense, justice. Or the, the virtue which gives each his due. You don't want what you're owed right now. <laughs> you want mercy. So if you want mercy, you better start giving mercy. And stop taking from your neighbor. Taking from your neighbor's children and grandchildren. Because every benefit you take from the world is driving the children and grandchildren of your neighbor and yourself deeper and deeper into debt because every nation is in debt and you're cursing your children with that debt with your covetousness you see I mean I'm sorry I can't bring you I am bringing you glad tidings because I am showing you the way that you can change the course of history for you and your family like Noah changed the course of history for him and his family by building an ark Now, do I want you to go out and build a boat? No, I want you to build a ship that will sail you across the seas, the roaring seas of the world as the world collapses. And that ark is built by faith, hope, and charity, by congregations that come together and form the planks of that ark that shall rise above the tumult of the world by the hand and grace of God which you will not receive if you do not turn around and repent. So anyway, in that verse 9, we see, Thou hast loved righteousness. That that righteousness, the state that you ought to be. And hated iniquity. God hates iniquity. He hates the Nicolaitans. The conquered people. Conquered by what? Conquered by their greed. Conquered by their lust for reward. The people who commit the error of Balaam. Conquered people again. Balaam meaning conquered people. He hates to see you conquered. He will give his son that ye might be safe. But you have to repent. Turn around and start forgiving one another. Stop taking from your neighbor through the agency of anyone. Now, I don't want you to starve to death. I want you to seek. You may still have to be in the system while seeking the righteous ways. Be friends with the unrighteous mammon while you are seeking the righteous mammon so that you will be suitable for more righteous habitations. I know lots of people want to get out of the system. Because they feel the sting of it. Well, that's not the righteous way. The righteous way is to pay your tally of bricks, but start 
building that alternative system based on faith, hope, and charity. That other form of government that Hebrews is talking about, where it says, Therefore God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows, sharing in partaking. That's what he means. Gladness above thy fellows, sharing and partaking in each other's burdens, in caring for one another, in free will offerings of love, through a network of charity, whereby ye are bound together in faith, a faith that requires that you do according to the ways of Christ, and follow in the ways of Christ, according to his image and person, his character of service one to another. And thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundations of the earth. Remember, we saw before the foundations of the world. Now we're talking about the foundations of the earth. And the heavens are the works of thy hands. Okay, now he says that you have to almost nowhere in the Bible is the word world and earth synonymous. You might be able to say that with words like echomene, but this word here, foundation, to make stable, to settle, to lay a foundation. From the beginning, this was God's plan. He didn't change his plan with Jesus. Moses and Jesus were in agreement. That's why we see in the New Testament Moses and Jesus together. Pharisees and Jesus were not in agreement. That's because what we're told by the Pharisees that Moses said in the Old Testament is a lie. The Pharisees had the interpretation of the Hebrew language falsified and distorted and twisted. And we talk about this in many places and show you exactly how they did it. But if you think that God was telling Moses to tell people to pile up stones, set sheep on them, set those sheep on fire, and then I will be happy, 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 you are under the delusion of the Pharisees. Because that's not what that was all about. Not at all what that was about. And men at the time of Jesus Christ, by the thousands and thousands, knew this all over Judea, all over the Roman Empire, and preached it so. But you don't hear that today, because that information was oppressed and suppressed. But that's what the early Christians understood. Modern Christians don't understand that. They look at the Old Testament and they think, oh, well, they were doing this, it was an archetype and all that baloney. It's not. That's not what it was about. They shall perish, but thou remainest. They all shall wax old, as doth a garment. And as of vesture shalt thou fold them up, and they shall be changed. But thou art the same. Thy years shall not fail. Now, he's not talking necessarily to you. He's talking about the faithful. Shall be changed. What does that mean? Shall be changed. That's a particular word. Shows up, you know, half a dozen times. To change, to exchange one thing for another. To transform. We need to be transformed. Or else we will be transformed as the world is transformed. We will go its way. We need to be on another path, another way. That will not collapse, will not fail. And that is the way of Christ. And then that is the way of service. But to which of the angels said, He at any time sit on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. We have to be on the right side of things. We have to be found walking the straight way. 
which is a way that operates by faith, open charity, of service one to another, of sacrifice of oneself for the love of another. This is the character. This is the image of the person of Christ. You cannot be a Christian on Sunday or Sabbath, a follower of Christ on Sunday and Sabbath, and the rest of the week follow after the ways of Nimrod, of Babylon, of Cain, of Lamech, of the, and seek and pray to the men who call themselves benefactors who exercise authority, and make the fathers of the earth our fathers as we no longer honor our own fathers and care and take for care of our own fathers and mothers. We don't do that. We use the Corbin of the temple to take care of our fathers. We call it Social Security. That's what Corbin of the Pharisees was. It was a system of Social Security set up by Herod, put into place by Herod. You signed up with baptism, believe it or not, and you became registered. You know, you became this idios, which we talked about before. And, you know, and this is why I say our Christians idiot. Go read that article and it'll explain it to you. Our Christians idiotis is really what I'm saying. And that was the Corbin of the Pharisees. It's, it was identical to your modern-day social security systems in Canada and England and Australia and South America, wherever. All these socialist systems. Where men who call themselves benefactors collect from your neighbor to make sure that you have enough. Unfortunately, they're all bankrupt. All bankrupt. Every system of that nature is bankrupt. And they are dependent upon taking away from your children and your grandchildren to provide you with benefits today. What you paid in is all gone, all spent, all rusted away. All gone. All gone. And if you take one benefit, you're taking from your children. So why not just go to your children and say, can you care for me? I don't want to put my neighbor's children into debt, but I will I will let my own children care for me and provide for me. But I won't go collect Social Security because there isn't anything there to collect. It's gone. Go read our article on not so secure Social Security. It tells you it's all gone. I don't care what they tell you on Fox News. It's all gone. You're in debt. If you take anything from that so-called fund, you're taking from the future of your children. That's called cursing your children. The Bible talks about that. So are they not all ministering spirits? He's talking here in the verse 14 of this chapter. Sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation. You want to be heir of salvation? You need to be a ministering spirit. Yeah. You need to take care of one another. You know what that word ministering is? That's the word that you get from liturgy. That's right. Liturgy means service. Liturgikos. Ministering. Appears once in Hebrews. Once in the whole Bible. Relating to the performance of service employed in ministry. What is religion? Today we think religion is what you think about the supreme being. Your eschatology concerning Christ and the Trinity and all that stuff. That's not what religion was. Not what it was at the time of Christ. Not what it was 200 years ago. Religion was the performance. And remember, liturgy is performance of service. Performance of your duty and service to God and your fellow man. To your fellow man. Take care of the needy of your society through faith, hope, and charity in a righteous way, a straight way that is in accordance to the image of the person of Christ, the character of Christ, the service of Christ, the faithfulness of Christ, the charity of Christ, the love of Christ. Every time you see Christ never mentions charity. But he mentions it all the time. They just never translate it charity when Christ says it. They always translate it love when Christ says it. If Paul says it, they translate it charity. 
But if Christ says it, they translate it love. Same word. Because you don't love your neighbor as yourself unless you're supplying them with the needs of their social welfare by charity alone. Unless you're doing that, you're not following the way of Christ. You're not his holy church. You are an apostasy. You are a liar. And you are under a strong delusion. And you are taking the name of the Lord in vain. And as many as I love, I also rebuke. And that is why I tell you this. I am not trying to put you down. I'm trying to raise you up out of your doldrums. So that you repent and make straight the way of the Lord. So you need to get together with other people that are trying to learn this. And if you find some, help us find them too. Let's all get together and start making straight the way of the Lord. Let's come together in the name and character and image of the person of Christ. Let's come together and transform this world by allowing God to transform us, to show us our selfishness and bring us into a state that we ought to be. A righteous state. We cannot do it on our own. God must do it working through each individual as we seek to serve one another. Because Christ said so. Are you ready for that? Can you do that? Do you want to do that? This is the purpose of tabernacles is so that you shore up that network that does that in times of need. You could have lived next to Fukushima. Where would you live today if you lived next to Fukushima? I'm sure the government would relocate you, but that's the government that exercises authority one over the other and calls itself a benefactor. Would the church relocate you? Are they capable of relocating you? Are they flexing the muscles of charity? Love and charity is power and force. Not force in the sense of violence, but force in the sense of strength. See, that's the thing about words. It's all sophistry. In what sense do we use this word? Because we don't, the church does not operate by force, but it does operate by power. And in the Greek, we would see the word dunamis by its nature. Because its nature is the nature of Christ. But the churches you see out there, they have a form of godliness, but they do not have the nature of Christ. They deny the power thereof, the dunamis thereof. They are not taking care of the needy of their society. They send most of the needy of their society to the men who exercise authority one over the other. Yet they say they are a church. And they are actually corporations of Caesar. Corporations of Nimrod. And people say, oh, well, all we have to do is unincorporate our church or fix that corporation charter or whatever they try to do, become an unregistered church or whatever, and then we will be okay. Nonsense. Why should I show you how to be a free church if you will not show me that you are willing to do what Christ said? Because it doesn't matter if you incorporate or don't incorporate. If you are not becoming a part of the body of Christ and you are not a part of the body of Christ, you are not taking care of all the needy of your church through faith, hope, and charity. And if you're buying a big screen TV instead of taking care of the widows and orphans, then woe unto you. Woe unto you. I don't want to be in your sandals when the Lord comes. Because he's going to say, Get ye from me, ye workers of iniquity. I know you not. I want you to know the Lord. I want you to follow in the Lord's ways and find out how much you don't know the Lord and let the Lord come into your heart so that you begin to understand the Lord and awaken and awaken and awaken until you are awake in the Lord. And you cannot do that unless you do what the Lord is telling you to do. 
If he gives you three denarii and you do nothing with them, if he gives you two denarii and you do nothing with them, if he gives you one denarii and you do nothing with it, expect it to be taken with, away from you. But if you do something with it, if you seek and strive and persevere, you will not be righteous. But God will, by grace, count it as righteousness. If you just say, Lord, Lord, woe unto you. So, I call you all to repentance in the ways of God, in the ways of the Lord. And we're going to bring this show to an end. We will have another show in about half an hour where people can call in. And you can find out more about that at hisholychurch.org. It'll be on a blog talk. And then later on in the day, we're going to have other uh, gatherings by phone conferences to learn a lot of the, the technicalities of the ways of the kingdom. Uh, so that we may learn to live in the world, but not of the world. And until then, uh, may peace be upon your house, and may the Lord be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.